Okay, today is Tuesday the 13th of May, and we are in the book of Daniel chapter 5, and this is the privilege of the study that we have. And again, I'm not going to read the verses of the scripture that we looked at uh, the last time, but we left, uh, we finished question number three, and the topic is the handwriting on the wall, if you remember that, okay? The handwriting that shook the kingdom. If you want to, you know, if it was a movie, the, the drum will be boom, 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 as the handwriting would have gone, and everybody's like. So that's kind of what is going on right here. So question four is this. King Belteshazzar is mentioned as specifically drinking wine with his guests and concubines. Why is this mentioned and what apparently did it to his senses? What did it do to his senses? And then what could he have learned from Proverbs 31, 4 through 6? Before you get to the Proverbs, let's talk about... um, um, what he's drinking, what apparently did it do to his senses? Dulled his senses. Uh, expound for me. Because when you're drinking, your senses are always kind of off. Okay. Uh, when people drink, I always say your inhibition is lessened, right? You are not as protective of yourself or the situation. Your, your tongue is looser. Um, your behavior is risque. And because uh, the A, there's nothing wrong with drinking. Okay, we need to understand that. Uh, the Lord and the Word, there's nowhere that does He say you should not drink. What He does say is you should not get drunk. Okay, there's a big difference, okay? There are churches who say you should not drink, period. No, that's adding to the word of God. We cannot add that which is not there. We cannot take that which is not, okay? I'm 65, and I'm thankful to God I have never been drunk in my life. Because I'm scared, and I'll say this, you've heard me say this before, I'm scared. If I drink, what will I do? How will I behave? Will that shame the gospel? Have I had uh, a a drink of wine or two? Absolutely. Have I had vodka or whiskey? Absolutely. Have Have I had margarita or something? Absolutely. But I know my limits. And actually, the Apostle Paul, talking to his son Timothy, says, drink wine because it's good for you. Okay? It doesn't say drink a whole lot of wine just drink a little wine, it's good for you. So, it dull your senses. Now, what could we have learned from Proverbs 31, 4, and 6? And you will need to use your uh, scripture to identify that aspect. What is Proverbs 31? Proverbs comes right after the Psalms. 
written, most of it by Solomon, not all of it, most of it by Solomon, 31. Verses 3 and 4. They're not supposed to drink strong wine. Okay, what's about verse 3? That's very big important. I didn't say verse 3. I did say 3 and 4. Oh, no, I didn't. You got 4 and 6 down here. You got 4 and 6. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, wait a minute. Let me correct that. Oh, I do have 4 and 6. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My apologies. Okay, 4 and 6. Go ahead. My apologies. You are correct. What do we learn from that? My apologies. And I was thinking still of the earliest verse, and I should have put three through six. But we'll, let's deal with uh, verses four, five, and six, and we'll come back to three. Because I think that answers also the first question um, of uh, the concubines. That will give us a little wisdom there also. So any comments on verses uh, four through six. Don't drink strong wines because you'll forget. Okay. That goes along with um, dulling the senses. It is dulling the senses. Because yeah. what happens if you take a lot of drinks that are strong, but will, you're no longer in control of your faculty, right? And you probably have been someplace or seen somebody who has um, had a little bit too much to drink and they would do things or they would say things that you know if they had their faculty, they would never have done so, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, now let's go back to the study. Keep your hands on Proverbs and let's go back to the study. And the first one is King Belteshazzar is mentioned as specifically drinking wine with his guest and concubines. Concubines, because I've been reading about that in Genesis, and it's a little bit disturbing because way back in Genesis 25 it talks about Abraham took another wife. Who right, after Sarah died. After Sarah died. Right, so she was considered his concubine. Okay, well, the word concubine is you're not officially married. So a concubine could be political or it could be just physical. For example, Solomon had 700 concubines. So sexually, he was actively involved with those 700. Don't ask me how, okay? I don't know if, I don't know if they had Viagra. Well, we actually at the seminary, somebody did the math. It would take three years just to make the rounds. You have one queen to take care of. How would you take care of 700? <laughs> My point is, concubines, primarily in Solomon's case, which of course ruined his kingdom, but a lot of it was for political areas. So if I wanted to, let's say you're the daughter of a king and he has land, so I'm King Solomon, then I come to your father. I will take you and take part of the land along with it or become a friend with your father so we are not in fighting because now you become a concubine. Okay, so that's the term concubine there. Now, uh, let, let me assure you also, what Abraham did, 
what Jacob did, mm-hmm. okay, what David did, mm-hmm. they were all in the wrong. Mm-hmm. God never intended for them to have more, th- more than one wife. Just because they did it, that is not the proper way to do it. Now, God said man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. And the Hebrew word there is to be glued, literally. Okay, davak is the Hebrew word. But the aspect of having more than wife, that was not what God ordained. They practiced it, and yet even in the wrong, God still blessed them. Okay? We don't do it because we know it's not healthy, although it's coming back now because you know, for example, some of the Mormons have the show, My Sister's, what is that? Uh, what is it? Sister Wives. Sister Wives, okay? Like they have four or five wi- uh, wives. And oh, we are so happy. Bunch of malarkey. Don't tell me you are happy when you have five guys, five ladies are sharing the same man. Oh, we are so content. We have one guy who takes care of us all. Well, that's neither here nor there. Uh, two facts. If you give your power to other women, which is number three, it dulls your senses, and you no longer think clearly of the word of God. You elevate that above. And two, whenever booze becomes the major thing in your life, you lose control and you no longer bring honor and glory to your God. Okay? Am I against drinking? No. I will never tell anyone not to have a drink. If you have a problem with it, that's fine. I won't force anybody. I don't say you have to drink. I don't say you don't have to drink. I just say God never forbade us from drinking. But what he did forbid us is from being drunk. Because when you are drinking, you lose control of everything. Your faculty. I think there's even a country western song, Tequila Make Me Take My Claws Off. Yeah. I, I think so, right? Is yeah. it, isn't it this song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My clothes fall off. Oh, my clothes fall off? Yeah. Really? Yeah, tequila no. makes my clothes fall off. Really? Mm-hmm. It is a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not joking. It is a song because I've heard it before. Now here, I'm going to share with you a great, uh, now, don't, don't laugh. Guess what God calls you? Have you ever heard the term margarita? You know what that is? A drink. It is a drink, right? Yeah. That's the Greek word that is used for the pearl when the man finds the treasure in the field, the one pearl that was worth everything. The Greek word is margarita. So God calls you his margarita. Now, I'm not saying go and drink, but just remember you are worth that much. Okay. Um, The other thing that I want to highlight with this here, what could we learn from all of this? It demonstrates an incredible arrogance. Remember the king ordered the vessels from the altar of God to be used for the specific drinking, arrogance, pride, okay? Um, remember who is coming to judge, okay? Let me just share uh, how arrogant I was in my younger years, and to some extent I still have it because it's just I'm a sinful man. Uh, I was in high school. Was I in college or high school? 
either high school or college, because I lived at uh, college when I was in high school because I didn't have anywhere else to live. And um, it was high school, I remember that. So it was, uh, that was before I be understood English. And so we were out at someone's home and they opened this bottle and everybody, they passed it. They took a sip, passed it on to the next. Uh, so they came to me. I put it to my, no, 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 no. They start saying, uh, what's the name of that? Everclear. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what Everclear is. I have absolutely no idea what Everclear is. So put it up, go, 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 go. And everybody's screaming. I was arrogant. For the first few seconds, there was nothing. But once it hit my stomach, it was like a fire burning without an end. I put up with my arrogance and stupidity, and when they left, or I left, I don't remember, um, I could not get water to get down to my stomach to soothe it. That's an arrogance that I have never repeated again. It was ever clear. I learned it's 180 proof. I grew up drinking clear stuff about 50 or 100 proof, which, I mean, you drink it, but not to that extent. Yeah, Dad always put it in his can of Pepsi, but he'd put like... He'd have his kids drink out a little bit of Pepsi, and he'd put like an ounce in, and that was it. <laughs> well, but again, yeah. it is called arrogance because you think you can do anything. And this is kind of what we see, what is happening right here. The focus is not to honor God. The focus is to honor the king. Okay, he's doing all of this to say, hey, look at me, look at me. All right. In verses 2 through 4, we discover that Belteshadar has lost all of his senses. What is so dramatically wrong with what he commands? By whom and to whom were these verses dedicated? To whom is Belteshadar giving the praise? I'll give you an opportunity to look at the question, look at the verses. So let's take the uh, first. We do know that he has lost all his senses, okay? We know that. So what is so dramatically wrong with what he commands? Well, he wanted to drink from the temple vessels. Okay. Very important, and we're going to expound on it. So he asked for the gold and silver 
that was used for what purpose in the temple? Remember those vessels were to be used for the glory of God. Okay? It is like the vessels we use today in the Lord's house, the means of grace, they are used for the forgiveness of sins and repentance. Okay? So when you think of what he is doing, okay, uh, everything that God ordained in the temple, all the liturgical rites, everything that happens in the worship service is to convey the means of grace to the people. If you think even our litur liturgy, even now, from the opening verse to, to the last verse is to remind you, A, who you are, and to receive the grace of God, right? We begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to remind you of your baptism. Then we go to confession. We confess that we are sinners in need of grace. Mm -hmm. Then we receive the absolution. We are receiving God's forgiveness. This is based on John 20, uh, 22, and 23. Whomever you forgive are forgiven. Who is not for uh, that which you do not forgive is not forgiven. Then we have the introit by which we come into the sacred or the most holy of holy people. Then you have the word read and heard. Then you have the confession of what we believe, teach, and uh, confess. Then you have the um, uh, word proclaimed from the pulpit. You have the sermon. Then you have the Lord's Supper, the means of grace. So from point A to point B, and then you have the benediction, and we end up with the same things. May the Father bless you, the Son bless you, and shine upon you, and all of those things. So you have the benediction. From the invocation to the benediction, everything is focused on what God is doing to you, not what you are doing to God. So here, he takes these wonderful gifts that God had given in the Old Testament, and now he disgraces them and use them to mock God. Because he is now the divine one in that facility. Okay? Uh, let me just read my notes and then I'm going to ask you to look at a scripture verse. The abuse of the temple vessels by Belteshazzar incurs God's judgment even as the New Testament warns about the abuses and God's judgment of the Lord's Supper. This is why we practice close communion. We don't open it to everybody because God ordained the specific parameters. With that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16. And I will read, if I may. Okay. First Corinthians chapter um, 10. I'm going to read beginning with verse 14, and then we'll end with verse 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. First Corinthians 10. I'll wait for you. 
Romans. First, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have Gospel, uh, Acts. Mm-hmm. Then you have Romans. Then you have First Corinthians. Ten. First Corinthians ten. Okay, verse fourteen. Okay, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Okay. The original there, the Greek, is, uh, the question is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The answer, absolutely yes. That's the, the Greek is asked in such a way that you can only come with a positive response. The Greek words are specifically stated. Is it not? Well, of course it is. That's kind of in a sense. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Of course it is. Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything or that... An idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Underline that word, to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Another word, we never mock what God had ordained in the sacrament. When he says, this is my body, he says, this is my body. When he says, this is my blood, he says, this is my blood. He doesn't say, it looks like my blood, it acts like my blood, it is my blood. We don't change it to fit our category. If I say, this is Susan... I'm not saying it looks like Susan, she acts like Susan, she behaves like Susan. This is Susan, right? You can't change her. This is who she is. The same things with God's word. He says, this is the cup of blessing. This is the bread of life. And so we emphasize what God has done. And what the king did by his activity is he dishonored God because he, t- he took of the holy things which are only for the holy people of God. And that's where the judgment comes in. To be sure, God allowed um, Babylon to execute his judgment on his fugitive people. But Babylon does not recognize what God is doing, and they themselves reject repentance and his grace and salvation and come under the same divine judgment. They take responsibility. Belteshadar gives praise to the lifeless idols. In Psalm 115, we are told by the author that uh, idols are handmade. They are carved, okay? They have faces, but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. They have eyes, they don't see. They have nose, they don't smell. They have mouth, they don't talk. That's one idol. And in another place, I think it's maybe Psalm 135. I am not 100% sure, but I think where it says, I don't understand it. Somebody takes a piece of wood, cuts part of it and put it in the fire, and the other one he makes an idol and worship it. 
People do it today. People do it today. So, uh, what was that other one? Psalms what? Psalm one fifteen, where it talks about they have a face or nose and mouth and stuff. I believe the second one, and I can find it out if you want me. I can do a search here on my phone, on my computer. But um, let me look here once. Now let's open Psalm one fifteen. Bless you. Okay, hold on. Go to Psalm one fifteen. Verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouth but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Okay? That's an idol made and fashioned by the human hand, but it has nothing to do with God. They have all the characteristics that we have, nose, eye, ears, mouth, hands, feet, but they don't move, just an idol. Um, let's see if I... Uh, and then uh, Psalm 14 as well as 53, Psalm 14 and 53 is very helpful for us because both of them begin kind of the same things. The fool says in, her heart, in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Okay? The fool says in his heart there is no God. And it's still going on today. It has not changed at all. Both 54 and 53 are the same things. And the author is the same. They're almost not exactly identical, but pretty close. Um, uh, I didn't, I've never compared them word for word in the Hebrew, so I can't say for sure. But pretty much identical um, the fool says in his heart, this is 53, there is no God, they are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity, there is none who does good. And then God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And then in 54, he says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So there's a lot of similarities, but they're not identical verbatim. And again, I didn't look at them in the Hebrew uh, word for word to see if it's uh, Yahweh or Elohim. You know, I didn't look at that. But suffice to say, even today, we still have people who say there is no God, right? There's even a group in Sioux Falls called the Atheists. Okay? But I'll tell you what, there are no Atheists in hell. 
they'll know there is a God. They'll find out. They'll find out. So, it's very important for us to realize we cannot mock God whatsoever. Okay. Question or comment before we go to the next uh, question. Any questions or thoughts? I'll give you the opportunity if you have a... When Go you ahead. said something about concubines, that a man can only have one woman. So how does divorce fit in there? God never intended for us to get a divorce either. I know. Jesus, Jesus addressed this. Uh, it's because of the hardness of their hearts. Okay. God never intended for a man to divorce. So but, the second wife, is she a concubine then? Not if the first one died. I mean, they could give her the term, and, you know, I don't know how the terms were used in that term because they had multiple marriages. I mean, like today, for the example, in Islam, they are identified by the seniority. So the first wife is known as the first wife. And what um, the term that most women in the Islamic world despise you're going to be the first wife because the second is coming. Yeah, normally she's the wife until wife number two comes to the house. Okay. But God never intended, ever intended for man to have more than one wife. Never. And I said, all of them are wrong. From Abraham to David to Jacob to Esau, all of them, all are wrong. Why did God permit it to continue? Did he stop it? I don't know. That's not revealed for us in the scripture. So this is a little bit off topic, but like when we think about like Abraham or like, I mean, even, even after that, when um, there was a want, like when they were barren and there was a want for a child so bad, like Sarah Said. was like, "Here, take my mate, take sure. my maid servant." I felt like I'm more upset with her. I mean, like I'm pretty upset with Abraham that he like was like, "Oh yeah, sure, why me. not? I'll do it." <laughs> but the fact that Sarah was like, "Here you go." Well, and I think it has to do with the culture yeah. that a woman without a child is a cursed woman. Mm-hmm. That's why, I mean, you read the story of Hannah who wept and wept and wept for a child and then she finally gives Samuel up for God. I mean, that's the first thing in my culture when a woman, how soon are you going to have the baby? I mean, all my sisters, nine months after the honeymoon, they had a baby. And if there is no baby, if there's no baby... It's problematic. Oh, doctoring and oh, it is almost, it is, I mean, it is, it's a burden in the old country not to be able to conceive. So nowadays it is. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. I mean, my oldest brother and my older brother could not have children right away. My oldest never have any of his own and he was going to adopt and my parents bucked against that for the longest time they would not I have an uncle he didn't have any children and he and his wife both were miserable 
because they didn't have any children. So Ma why did your parents buck against Because that's not, not it isn't something that you think mm -hmm. of. And I mean, that's not something. In, in the West, because we have all of these different cultures, and I'm a thoroughbred. I don't have anything in me beside Palestinian blood. I have nothing else outside of me. I'm a thoroughbred, okay? So my culture, my parents, all of that. There's no mixture. My kids are the first ones are outside. So what did they say when you married? Oh my gosh, I had Jean. to call. I had to call and tell my parents, I'm marrying a foreigner. And there was deathly silence on the telephone when I called my mother. But when she met her, she says, I could not have chosen a better wife for you. So they accepted her. But because it's a new phenomenon, nothing, something that has happened, okay? It's like back in the old country, an Arab man would never marry a Jewish woman. That's a no-no. You marry your own kind. And then, to make it even worse, if a Christian girl would marry a Muslim man, oh my gosh, that is like, you are no longer part of the family. I actually had that. One of my aunts, my mom's sister, um, who was thrown out of the house because she married a Muslim. I talked to her until she died, but I, her brother, who lives in Ohio, devout Christian, never forgave her for what she did. My sister is dead. We, we can't fathom that, but there is... Did the Muslim accept her on their part, or were they just well, kind of thrown out of both families? No, the Muslims will take you because you have converted to Islam, but I don't think so. And I talk now to my cousin, who I've never met, who is a Muslim, and, you know, I talked to her quite a bit. I received on Easter morning greetings saying, Christ is risen, from my cousin, who is, who is uh, a Muslim, and then it dawned on me, you know, my aunt was a Christian. I wonder, you know, she married the man, but down deep she still believed the faith and she was able to talk to the girls. Because I, I didn't want to greet her with the Christian greeting on Easter morning, but she was the one who reached out to me and I was flabbergasted. I was just flabbergasted. So, you um, know, we got into the subject from the question that was asked. But uh, the people, the one thing that I love about our Bible, it does not sugarcoat the stupidity of man. Okay? We talk about Abraham as the father of the believers. What did he do? Twice. He gave Sarah to another man. And I'm thinking, how could you? How could you do that? But he did. If it wasn't for the grace of God. She's my sister. Yeah. Well, she was actually his sister, too, by the way. She was his half-sister. I mean, that is partly true. She is half his sister. But God, God, yes. But again, not trusting God. But it took him 50 years to learn to trust God completely. And that's why the test was so severe. Do you trust me or don't you? All along the time, God was testing him and he was failing miserably. And if it was not for God's sake, Sarah would have been taken twice by someone else. But God stopped him because he said, this is a woman reserved for this man. You don't touch her. 
Because he said, if you lay your hand on her any manner, you and your whole kingdom and your family will be wiped up. God would have made them toast. Okay? But it took a long time for uh, Abraham to learn to trust God completely. And I, I began to say this, which I want to emphasize here. Um, I love our Bible because it never sugarcoats anything. You talk about Abraham. You talk about David. You talk about Jacob. You talk about Solomon. You talk about Peter and all the others. There's not one of them that is perfect. Not one. But they have been forgiven and redeemed. That's the key element. And you've heard me say this before, so I've always said this. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect life. There's not even a perfect faith. But there is a perfect Savior. That's why the Bible is so uh, pregnant with meaning because it tells it like it is. It does not sugarcoat. Other religious books out there, or their religious leader is almost holy than holy than holy. And one of the statements I said today in my lecture, I said, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Because in the economy of God, grace is overflowing. And first, um, not first, but in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, he said that you would know the height, depth, length, and width of God's amazing love, unconditional and infinite love. And we cannot fathom that. How could God love me after whoring? I mean, you think of all of the Israelites. All they did was whore after other gods, you know. So, anyway. I have to tell you, when we were in church one time and Annabelle leaned over and she goes, Mom, we all sin. I said, I know. And she goes, I sin and Mia sins, and dad sins, and you sin, pastor doesn't sin. Oh, gosh. And I, I, I go, I, and I go, yes, he does. And she goes, he does. <laughs> say it out loud and yell. <laughs> he does. She's like, what? Oh, yeah, just ask my wife and my children. You betcha. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Palestinian? Yep. So what, what language do they speak? There's many languages. <laughs> um, I'm fluent. My mother tongue is Arabic. It is Arabic. Yes. My country's tongue is Hebrew. So I'm fluent um, in those two languages. That's what I was wondering, if only the Jewish people spoke Hebrew. That's... No. Okay. Because we live... I mean, we intermingle constantly. I mean, actually, even till today, I've been in this country for almost 50 years. When I talk to my siblings, when I go on vacation, I never use the Arabic word for vacation. I use the Hebrew word for vacation. Even after all these years, we just intermix. So are, so are you in the sentences? You use some... Uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't... You know, there are certain terms we tend to speak more in the Hebrew than it is in the Arabic, but... Because the old Germans, you know, which, who have all passed away, but 
is that they would speak to family. It was like half the sentence was German, half it was English. It was just depending on the word or the right. phrase. Um, no well, I mean, I, I consciously try to speak Arabic, but I could do either. I mean, Patsy was with me and Rose was with me. So, but I could speak Arabic here, Hebrew here, English here, and Spanish here, and I can do all of these things together, okay? And so I, I learned how to do that, but because, A, I grew up among Jewish people. I had Jewish friends, so we spoke. When we went to work, we primarily worked for Jewish people, so we spoke Jewish, or Hebrew, not Jewish, sorry, Hebrew language, so... Uh, actually, at home, my father preferred the Hebrew newspaper than the Arabic newspaper because it was more orthodox, so to speak, than liberal. The Arabic had just to the left a little bit. So I grew up reading the newspapers. And when I went to my school, a convent, because I was uh, raised as a Catholic, uh, my Hebrew uh, teacher did not believe I was an Arab. She says, there's no way you can speak Hebrew that well. I says, I'm sorry, but I am. But, you know, I spoke Hebrew that fluent. And even till today, when I go back, many people say, how, how is it that you keep up with the language? I says, I read Arabic every single day, and I read Hebrew every single day. Oh, so you'd probably lose it if you didn't. You'd oh, I know this is what my brother, my oldest brother, if I speak with him in Arabic, he responds with me in English. Very seldom does he respond in Arabic, so unless I force him to. I mean, it's not that he can't, but it's, hard. he, it's harder for him. Because, you know, primarily we do English. But I, I specifically, but I read... And he's been in the U.S. longer? Just one year. One year longer? Yeah. But I, I read the Bible in Arabic every day, and I read the Hebrew Bible even like today when I was lecturing, I didn't have anything else except the Hebrew Bible. So I was reading from the Hebrew Bible to communicate. Okay, well, let's just take this last question. Why might Belteshazzar have ordered such an action? Because he is A, potentially arrogant, and B, under the influence. Um. Uh, Pretty good, actually. Very well. Uh, what might be more beside that? He is arrogant. Is it to put down da Daniel in Shoho? No. Um, I, I like what um, St. Alicia said, his arrogance. But remember, who brought the vessels to the kingdom. Yeah, but, uh, not Belteshazzar, it was Nebuchadnezzar. So he's trying to outshine the previous king. He says, you brought them here, but I am going to put them to use here. So, didn't use them, they just them no, but Belteshazzar brought them out. So he's going to, um, so. And then, you know, he wants to be, whenever you try to draw attention to yourself, is you trying to kind of, it's kind of like what I shared earlier in my stupidity, 
trying to be arrogant, to say I am macho. So he's probably trying to highlight the lifting up the morality of all those leaders to say, hey, we are, we are the ones that can do all of these things. We are the ones who are able to demonstrate that we have the power to destroy and do whatever we want to. Uh, another word to say, we are God. And when you are God, you do anything and you care less about anyone else. Let's close with one verse that I want you to look at, which I think very, very helpful for us to remember. Look at Mark 10, verse 45. And it's also in Matthew, but suffice in one place to look at. And that is in Mark 10, 45. Somebody would be kind enough to read that. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Because we are the followers of Jesus, we serve as our Lord have served us. Our role, as it says in First Peter 2, 9 and 10, God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we can become a light in this dark world. Everything that we do in our life is to reflect the light of the gospel. Everything that we do, how we behave, how we act, how we address, how we communicate, how we treat others is all to bring glory and honor to God. Okay, we'll stop here. Are there any questions that... Um, what was that scripture again? Peter, 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Uh, he talks about you are uh, uh, a chosen race, a holy people, royal priest, a people belonging to God who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you can show that light. Um, First Peter uh, chapter 1. First Peter chapter 2, excuse me. Uh, 9 and 10, and goes like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, okay, we'll stop here. Let's pray. Faithful God, thanks and praise be to you for your kindness, your mercy, your grace. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will be with us as we go our separate ways. Again, continue to be with Mark and Wendy and all others who are in need. Grant us your grace now and always for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everyone. God, richest blessings be with you. Oh, I shut this off.